One of the things that I tell people now when they talk about dealing with caregiver guilt is you're going to feel it. You're, you're only human. Uh, you're going to get angry. You're going to feel guilty. Embrace it. Hi, I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And this is Roger That, the podcast dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. I was a caregiver for my father-in-law, Roger, for seven years. Knowing how difficult it was, I decided I wanted to support other caregivers. So I have become a certified caregiver consultant and a certified caregiver educator. And I was a secondary caregiver for my father, helping out after I did that pesky day job. And I also became a certified caregiver advocate. Here, we're gonna focus on the caregiver offer our practical insights, and share some emotional support. Maybe we'll even get to share a few laughs because everybody knows laughter is, in fact, the best medicine. And every now and then, we're going to have a glass of wine. You bet. Can't forget the wine. So today, we're welcoming Deb Hallisey. And Deb is the founder of Advocate for Mom and Dad. Welcome to the show, Deb. Thank you so much for being with us. And we very much look forward to hearing your caregiving story. So would you like to start off a little bit and tell us about your experience as a caregiver and what led you to do what you do now? Oh, I would love to. And thank you for inviting me to be part of your, your broadcast. I, I became a caregiver when my father, really the day that the doctor first used the words congestive heart failure with my dad. Um, my dad was my mother's caregiver. She is legally blind with mobility issues, and he did really everything around the house. And and, and actually, it's interesting. I say I d- didn't identify until dad was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, but truly, it was in the back of my mind. I had lived in different places and deliberately moved back to New Jersey thinking I was going to be my parents' support system. And through the years, I would come up and see them for dinner and, and uh, you know, just kind of keep my eye on what's going on. But, you you know, you just think of that as being a good daughter. You don't think of that as being a caregiver. And then when my father was diagnosed with congestive heart failure, that year before he passed, I went to all the doctor's appointments with him. I started to help him in terms of caring for my mom. And that's when it really hit me that I'm his caregiver. When we lost my father, I became my mother's primary caregiver. Um, and we, and in, and in doing so, I would lay in bed at night and think, where do I start? Because it was my primary, my mother's primary caregiver, we needed to figure out her care plan. And my company was very generous. I was a consultant and I traveled all the time. I mean, literally when my, when my dad died, I was in um, Vancouver with a client. And so, um, and, and so what wound up happening is I had to, I had about three months at home where I could get my mother situated and that was a gift, but because of it, I lost my job. And so that just had me down a completely different path and really was the start to caregiving for me, my dad's death and then losing my job. And, and subsequently be, like you, Bobby, I became a certified caregiving consultant because of that journey, if you will. So did you find there was a difference between caring for someone who was ill and dying versus 
someone who's rel- relatively healthy, like your mom, who still needs a great deal of help? Is there For me, yes, absolutely. There, there really was. For my dad, it was supporting him in every way, shape, and form, honoring his wishes. You know, we had conversations about, you know, where things were in the house that I needed to know. We had conversations about what he wanted after he was gone. And it was going to the doctors. And, and frankly, he went in the hospital in November of 2014, and we lost him in February. And so for about six months, it was just crisis after crisis after crisis. And for me as a caregiver, um, I didn't have a moment to breathe. And I felt like I was just reeling like a pin in a pin, like a ball in a pinball machine from one place to another. Well, I can certainly relate to that because it seemed like as soon as I thought I had a handle on something or something was getting a little bit better, something new would pop up. And I thought, well, okay, I can breathe. I've taken care of this. And then something new would pop up. And it just seemed like it was an avalanche and you barely have time to catch your breath. You really don't have time to catch your breath. And add on top of that, because my father was so ill, I, be, I started taking on more and more caregiving duties for my mother. And, and this is on top of traveling um, wow. when that happened. Yeah, it was crazy. On the other hand, mom is, uh, is legally blind with mobility issues, and she has health issues like diabetes, but she manages it really well. So for her, really, caregiving is long-term, and it's being on top of the activities of daily living and how she's doing and if she's changing with those and what does that mean going for the future. Um, and it means running her household as long as, along with mom. And so the emotions are very different. You know, I didn't feel the anger and resentment that I can feel about being mom's caregiver with for my dad because he was dying, you know. And so it's a it's a different adjustment. It really is, for me at least, between someone who's ill and dying, you know your time is short, versus someone who's relatively healthy and thinking, well, this could go on for another 10 years. And by God, what does that mean for my life? So you had quite a quite a different emotional roller coaster than most caregivers. You know, I, I think I think it depends on where you come into the caregiving journey. Like right. someone can get relatively, you know, ill and quickly, and then you're in that pinball situation. Or it can be like my mom, where it's pretty stable for a while and it's ongoing. If my mom had her sight, there would be a lot less on me as her caregiver. You know, I'm, right. I'm so it's different in that way. But I think as a caregiver, no matter. The, the emotions all come up anyway, just at different right. times in different ways. Um, Deb, I wonder if you could, you mentioned the anger and the resentment and some of those negative feelings that most caregivers share at one time or another. Um, I wonder if you could speak more about that for our listeners, about what it was like for you and um, how you dealt with those things. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, I'm, I, in the beginning, it was really hard. Like, I was really resentful. I, I'm my mother's, my mom has 24-7 living care when I'm not with her. And, and, but every two weeks for four days, I pack up my life, my dog, me, everything we need. And we move in with my mother for four days, sometimes longer for a caregiver needs time off. And so I was really resentful of that having to, like, stop my life 
having to say no to friends who are inviting me to things and, and come up here and do that. Um, and so, you know, resentment unexpressed for me becomes anger. And at some point, I, you know, I'm a big one for like, if I hear myself complaining about the same thing more than two or three times, it's like this trigger in my head to say, hold on, everybody's really tired about you whining about this. So either change your feelings, change the emotions. And so that kind of started me down this path of, first of all, recognizing them. You have to name them and claim them before you can change them. And in that process, I'm not going to tell you that they're not going to come back, but you're more aware of them. Because otherwise, I find myself, I could, I found myself getting really cranky and taking it out on my mother. And that's not fair because she didn't ask for this either. She didn't ask this either. I'll never forget the first day that I felt anger when I was dealing with with Roger, my father-in-law. He'd been with us for about a year, and he had just come back from the hospital. He'd actually spent about 12 weeks in the hospital, first in the psych ward and then on the medical ward with pneumonia that nearly killed him. And he ended up there because, unbeknownst to us, he hadn't been taking his medication. So when we finally got him home, and he came down the stairs, and he wanted... he. He wanted control of his medicine again. I, I felt this intense anger rising. I, you know, we, I had done everything I could for a year to keep him healthy, and he was, he was throwing his medication away. And we got him healthy again, and he came home, and he was going to do this again? Yeah. I thought, how dare you think that you can fool me twice? Yeah. But the feeling of anger was immediately followed by, what's wrong with you? You know this man is sick. How can you be mad at him? Which followed, and then the guilt came. Right. Um, yeah. That was overwhelming. And I felt like such a failure in that moment. And I do, I, I do, I mean, I get it, Bobby. I really do. It, it's, this, it's this like triangulation, anger, resentment, guilt, and then that feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not, a, then I'm not a good person. Right. What's wrong with me? What's right. wrong with me? Right. None emotional of roller coaster. True. Oh my gosh, it is emotional roller coaster. And 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 I, I I got to the point where I could say, these are my emotions. I'm going to name them. I'm going to claim them. And I, and it's okay to feel them. What's I love not that. Name, okay. That name them and claim them. One yeah. of the things that I tell people now when they they talk about dealing with care, caregiver guilt is you're going to feel it. You're, you're only human. Uh, you're going to get angry. You're going to feel guilty. Embrace it. Yeah. Feel it Feel it for five minutes or ten minutes, and then move on and do better the next time. Right. Oh, yeah. This whole process is a learning experience every single day. I called <laughs> it creative problem solving on the run. Yeah, yeah, and that's so true. That's so true. I, I, I will share with you that, that there is one emotion that surprised me. And that was the emotion of anticipatory grief, which is something we don't talk about. With my dad, it was absolutely anticipating his loss, right? I knew we were on borrowed time. And, and that people will recognize. But the anticipatory grief that surprised me was the grief that I felt for the loss of my own life. You know, oh, yeah. I was, you know, all of a sudden without a job and no longer financially secure. I've been making plans for where I wanted to retire or traveling I wanted to do. And 
all of that's on hold and may never, ever come to fruition or be what I wanted and expected. And then the other part of that is, is, you know, I watch my mom very carefully to see the activities of daily living. And if something changes, there's that, ah, that clunch in your heart, like, okay, this is different. I need to watch this now. And this is not an emotion that we ever talk about, but it's so real. I, I, can I tell you a, kind of an interesting story? Oh, Go. please do. I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it. So this is, this is where it kind of like, bam, hit me in the head. My dog got sick. My oh, dog, no. got, yeah, my, <laughs> my dog, I know, and I'm a, I'm a four-legged fur baby mom, right? My dog got sick in January. I mean, I didn't think he was going to make it, right? He had colitis, he had pancreatitis, he had blood in his chest, all kinds of just insane things. Well, it felt like overnight. And, and we, you know, he is, thank God, gotten through all of that. But in that moment, I got wailed back to when I heard the words, you have congestive heart failure. And what I realized for about a week is he would come up to me, get petted, and I would hold his face in my hands with these beautiful brown eyes and say, oh, my poor baby. And I thought, well, this is just stupid because he doesn't know why I'm sad. He just knows I'm sad. And I am losing all of the time I have for him and the joy we can have together by letting the anticipatory grief you know, take over everything. That is so profound. That is so profound. I never thought of it in that context. You know, it's funny because I'm also a blogger. It is probably the most, um, the blog that got the most reaction from people. Because you can think about that in terms of a pet. It's harder in terms of a loved one. But really, really don't, don't let, What's coming? Still the joy in the now. Wow! And even in in the worst possible moments, every now and then you get a moment of clarity, and they're back, and you get you share a special moment that you had no idea was coming, and those are the things that make it worthwhile in the moment when you think you can't hold on for another second. And then all of a sudden you get a positive message from that person or from the universe and you can go on. You can get up and you can do it again the next day. Remember remember when my dad looked at you and he says, you're my best friend, you know that? Without you, I'm a goner. I, oh, I know. Because I would, I would share what often came before that. You know, I, would, you, I was the one that would take him to his doctor's appointments and they would see me all the time. And I remember the day the doctor said, Mr. Carducci, you are so lucky to have her. Your, your daughter-in-law takes such good care of you. And he looked at him and he said, she's all right. She yeah. cooks. She cleans. <laughs> My son does everything. That would be me. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you didn't tip up and strangle him. I'm very impressed. <laughs> So, so what's funny now is every time she asks me to do something, she says, you know, your dad always said that you're the one that did everything. That's right. Now you have leverage, Bobby. I love it. <laughs> That's right. We take our moments where we can find them. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yep. did you have a very special moment with either one or both of your parents that you would like to share with our listeners today? Because we talk a lot about the difficult portion of caregiving, 
but it, we like to share those special moments also. Um, yeah. I mean, my dad and I were very close, very, very close. And so just seeing him through that last year and those last couple of months was an, was an absolute honor. Like all of a sudden I understand what hospice is about and I understand what end of life duel is about. Like it really is an honor to see someone through that and, and, and honor what, what they want. And so the times my dad, as hard as it was, the times my dad and I had together in the hospital was a blessing. I have to tell you that. My mom, it's so funny. The, the day she turned 85, I posted a blog post. Um, Today I will be her daughter and not her caregiver. Because it occurred to me that so much of what, when we're together, I'm really task focused. And we, we were losing that mother-daughter relationship. And so I was very deliberate about going back in, seeing her that day and say, you know what, Mom, today we're not going to do any bills. We're not going to talk about ShopRite. Let's play cards. You love to play cards. And that was kind of this moment where I realized that I really needed to build into our weekends together mother-daughter time, not just caregiver carry. And what I've realize is when we're in the car and can talk or when I'm doing something I call intimate, like I cut her hair. And in in that slowed down time of combing her hair and gently cutting it and maneuvering her head back and forth, the intimacy in that touch allows our conversation to be intimate. And she's told me stories from her childhood I had never heard before. Isn't it, isn't it so precious when you, when you hear something, um, a precious memory that just comes out of doing your everyday caregiving? I, we had a number of moments like that with Roger when he would stop and talk about growing up in Italy. He was generally very introverted and really preferred to spend time by himself. So on those rare occasions when he decided he was going to talk, I would listen. We would stop, drop, and roll. Yeah. And just go just go on a journey. And then he would say, That's enough of that and get up and walk yep. away and <laughs> close the bedroom door. I don't want to talk to you anymore. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You know, early on in my caregiving caregiving journey, I found a book by the guy a gentleman by the name of David Solie, S O L I E. And it's called How to Say It to Seniors. And it was it changed the way I thought about my mom and about caregiving because there are two premises. One, and that is that after the age of 70, people start to hold on to control more and more because they are losing so much. They're losing health, mobility, friends who, ha- who share their history. So they Some really, yeah, right. <laughs> and so they really hold on tight, right. And they can drive you crazy when they do that. But the other thing is they're also processing their legacy. They're like rethinking their life. And I could see that with my mom when I was cutting her hair. You know, she told me a story and it, and it was about a family member that I knew she had had some trouble with. And then she said to me, but they did the best they could. And that's the legacy processing, like thinking back over their life and realizing that, you know, they did the best they could or I can let go. And I, I'm sure... In those storytelling with your dad and father-in-law and giving it, that was part of his legacy processing. And what a gift to give him to listen to that. 
That's one of the things that I tell people often uh, that they seem surprised about. And one was having him in doing what I did was an amazing gift I didn't know I wanted. Mm-hmm. And he was one of the the greatest teacher that ever came into my life. Because if he hadn't done that, I could not do what I do now. And that I really do believe is his legacy. I believe that's why he came to us when it was time for him to have somebody to take care of him. Um, He was an amazing man. Um, You know, we talk about him as, as an old man, but when he was a young man in Italy, he was absolutely fierce. He spoke seven languages. He had advanced degrees in mathematics and literature. And can I tell the story? And just just one moment, sure. because this was a man whose innate intelligence was so much greater than mine, and he ended up with my taking care of him. And I'm sure that even with his deficits, he knew somewhere what he used to be and had to wonder, what am I doing with her? <laughs> oh, oh uh, maybe and maybe he just was in the moment thinking look at this beautiful woman who's doing all this stuff for me he might have been thinking who is she but that's okay he recognized <laughs> what you were doing one of the most amazing things about my dad and i i get a little emotional sometimes is when he was 14 13 in italy and he grew up on the East Coast. And the Germans used to go up the East Coast, uh, the courier runs back to Germany. And he and a friend would sit there with a rope across the road. And as the couriers would come up, they would clothesline the couriers off the motorcycle, grab the courier pouch, and take it to the Allies. Oh, my God. And I bet nobody but the family knows they did this. I didn't know this until he was living with us 50 years later. Wow. Well, you know, he was so unassuming. He didn't think he did anything special. He he did what was needed in the moment. And he even when he became seriously ill, he was always looking out for other persons. And he he didn't see that he was anything special. He even said to me one time, I'm nobody, when he was absolutely everything but nobody. Yeah. Yeah. What a special man. Thank you for sharing those stories. One of the things that caregivers, we always, uh, and Bobby does a a program talking about getting a a care team in place. Um, Did you have a care team? And what did your care team look like supporting you through your caregiving journey? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I I will tell you that um, it, it, it evolved. When I was home for those three months trying to figure out what to do with my mom, I asked everybody, what are you doing? What resource are you using? How did you find them? I knew my mom, my mother wants to stay in her home and and she is. So, you know, that we started from that as the baseline. I mean, I would be in the grocery store and check up a conversation with someone. Well, how did you do that? Because every family is different, so I was able to take one piece from one person, one piece from another person, one piece, and, and, and put together our care plan. And so because of work and travel, part of it I knew needed to be hiring someone who could be living care for her because of her eyesight and her mobility issues. That is 
completely, uh, that's another journey. Uh, uh, finding the right agency, finding the right person. We started going down the avenue of private pay at first and abandoned that. But one of the things that, um, in terms of care management, is, is if I, I couldn't do it without her live-in caregiver. That's the first thing. That's what we did. Now, and here's the interesting thing about that. That required, that really required looking at finances. And that required taking off the hat of being a daughter and putting on the hat of being an actuary, which was really hard. Like, if mom's going to outlive her money, what are we going to do, right? So, you know, talking to people helped me figure that out. Our care plan, we're so lucky in that we live in New Jersey and we have lots of extended family and friends. My mom's neighbors next door are wonderful. She can call them and they will come over and change a light bulb for her. I have cousins that will come over and cook with her lunch or dinner. Um, it's really that network. Now, when, because it will happen, she becomes ill, I'm going to have to rethink all of this. But right now, thank God, knock wood, we're kind of on steady steady stage. And between her caregiver and me and extended family, friends, and neighbors, they're all part of our care management system. Well, that's wonderful. And so many families don't have that. And that's why one of my goals is to get adults in their 30s and 40s thinking about these things now to get a care plan in place, get find people in your community, in your family that, that can assist you through this because it is such a difficult thing to do. Um, I created a program called Prepare to Care, what every adult needs to know about Alzheimer's and dementia before and after it strikes home. Um, because I had none of that. And um, I think it's, it's absolutely vital that we get that information out now because the incidence of dementia and Alzheimer's is growing worldwide. And our, our medical insurance and the care homes are going to be overwhelmed and more and more people are going to be doing this at home and they need to pre- need to prepare now. Um, you sound like you have a wonderful support system and I am so glad that you have that. I do and I am so, so grateful for it. So grateful. I, I, I will also tell you that I'm with you. It's like prepare to care now. And so one of the things that I will tell people is, look, before everything happens, have a conversation with your, your family member so you understand how they live their life. So as you go forward, you can honor that as much as possible. And when you're having that conversation, you know, make it about, you know, mom, who, you know, who, uh, who is your, uh, when does your garbage have to go out? Because if you were away on vacation and I needed to put it out for you, I would like to know that. So who, when does the garbage go out? When does the recycling go out? Who is their provider for electric, for gas? And start to create a list of what it is in their life beyond doctors and how they live it. And, and as you start to need help, you can say, okay, I can't do that, but I can ask the neighbor to put the garbage out because they're going to be putting out theirs anyway. And it becomes a way to, to find people to ask for help as well if you can't do it all. That's right. Different people have different skills, even within the family. Um, Maybe somebody's good with doing the taxes. Maybe somebody can, is a great cook and once a month can bring a meal over. Maybe somebody's got some teenagers who can cut the grass. Yeah. Um, 
I want to say I am so impressed with what you've said today. And I know that you've helped our listeners in a, in a, a great deal. I've learned a lot from listening to I you here too. today. And that's one of the things about when caregivers come together and they start sharing their stories. We, we strengthen one another. And going forward, I will have more information to share with caregivers. And I'm so grateful that you were here with us today. And Deb, we're going to put a link to your book, uh, The Caregiver Relationship Contract. We're going to put that up on rogerthat.show so our listeners have easy access to go, go back to it and to your website also. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And we certainly thank you for taking time out of your day to spend some time with us and our listeners. It's been an absolute joy. And I've had a couple of aha moments sitting here listening to you. Oh, thank you so much. I know Mike was really touched by, by this particular talk that we had today. And I and imagine that our listeners were, were touched as well. Again, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. This has been Roger That. And I'm Bobby. And I'm Mike. And we are dedicated to guiding you through the heavy haze of dementia. So please subscribe to the show and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know how we can help or if you have a question you'd like for us to address. Even if you just want to say hi, please stop by and say hi. To find out more about us, more about my dad, Roger, or where Bobby will be speaking next, head over to rogerthat.show. That's Roger, R-O-D-G-E-R, that. Dot show. Roger That is produced by Missing Link, a media podcast company dedicated to connecting people to intelligent, engaging, and informative content.